0: a privilege to get to teach. Uh, this morning was a little crazy. Um, Brad, who I realize now he handles and, t- and is responsible for a whole lot more than I even had uh, understanding of, um, so I'm a little—I'm trying to fill Brad's shoes this morning, and it's—it's it's not going very well. It's stressing me out. So uh, bear with me this morning on the sermon. Uh, the sermon is actually very practical to to that thought. Um, As we get to our our section, as we start reading, we're faced with a problem. We're faced with a dilemma. And here's the dilemma. As we'll see, we'll start reading in verse 12 of chapter 23. The problem is, is that what are we to learn from this story? There's no mention of God. There's no mention of Jesus. There's no doctrine to, to stand on, to learn from. There's no testimony. There's no story. It's just information. So the dilemma and the problem we are faced this morning is, is, what does this have to do with us? Why is this important for us this morning? So as I read, starting in verse 12, I want you to, to listen and keep that in mind as we walk through it. Acts 23, starting in verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There was more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you so as though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him. And brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they, now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Go ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Phoenix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers... According to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive and commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So here's the the problem. I don't know if you guys saw it. There's nothing about God. Nothing about Jesus. Just some information, just some events, just some things that occurred. But if we read verse 11 and look at the story we just read, it kind of gives us a little bit of a of a clue of why this is important. Verse 11 says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Jesus came to Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. We have events here that God has orchestrated, that God has used to take Paul closer to Rome. What we have here, the the doctrine that we have is is God's providence, the doctrine of providence. God working things out in our world to accomplish His will. Working things out through believers, through non-believers, through circumstances, through situations, through the environment in in order to accomplish His will. So we have these events, meetings, conversations listening moments that happen in this story that that give us a a glimpse into what God is doing and and the power and the ability that God has to make things happen. So we actually have five or six evidences or or moments of God's providence within our text this morning. I want you to, to listen to this definition. and I'm sorry I don't have it on the screen of what providence is. And this is from uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And it says, Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance. But from his fatherly hand. God is in control. God is God. God is bigger than we can imagine, and he can orchestrate events. Job thirty seven, six through thirteen says, for to other, or, for to the snow he says, fall on the earth, likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain there in their dens. For its chamber comes the, from its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. God is bigger than us He is making things happen around us. And in our story this morning, in the book of Acts, we see him making things happen. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Generation, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand or say to Him, "What have You done?" This is the this is this is our God. This is God who loves us, God who is for us, God who created us. He is the Creator. Paul uses an analogy in Romans chapter nine. Of potter and clay. And he says, the clay would not say to the potter, Why have you made me this way? It doesn't happen because because we are clay in God's hands, forming us, shaping us, and moving us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that he, being Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now this word upholds doesn't mean he's just holding it there and he can just hold it and just kind of look around. It's this idea of carrying it from one place to another with care. A basket of eggs so to speak that God is carrying something from one place to another. He's holding, he's upholding the world as we understand it. This God is doing these things. So when we read a story like this in Acts, we can say, I don't quite understand what's happening here. I mean, I get the details, I get the gist, but is God really at work? Is this important for me? Yes, this is important because it's evidence that God is moving in his people so let's, re, let's recap so these 40 men Jewish people, Jewish men come to the religious leaders the elders, the priests and says to them I would rather die than let Paul live therefore I'm not going to eat or I'm not going to drink until Paul is dead and here's what we want you to do We want you to call ahead to the tribune. Get Paul to come over so that you can talk to him some more. And when he arrives, or before he arrives, we're going to sneak in him, we're going to jump him, and we're going to kill him. Now these religious leaders, these are the guys, these are the guys whose, whose job it was, was to teach and to lead the people of Israel to live godly lives, to honor the law. And what did they do? Because they're so corrupt, they're so angry, they're so hate-filled towards Paul towards the message of Jesus that they agree with this plan. Yes, we will do that. We agree with your plan. We think it's a great plan, so let's make it happen. And our first little evidence of God's providence, God working things out, is is we have this hate-filled room of 40 men who agree to die to have Paul killed. Paul's sister's son learns, learns of this conspiracy. How? We don't know. Who's Paul's sister? We don't know. Who's his nephew? We have no idea. This is all we get. But God's providence places Paul's nephew there so that, for that, so that he can go and tell Paul about the situation. God's providence worked so that he was able to hear this story, hear the conspiracy and tell Paul. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, doesn't give us any details about, about the, the, how he got to where he was, how he learned about it, or even how did this nephew of Paul's get into the barracks? Like it, it just seems like he just walked right in. I need to talk with Paul. He goes, goes right in. Well, this is what happens. He goes to Paul and he tells him. Simple. Another sign of God's providence. Able to walk right in and talk with Paul. Another example of God's providence. Paul calls the centurion guard and says, "Take this kid, young man, to uh to the tribune." Cuz he has something to tell him. Now, I don't I, I don't know how it was back in Jesus day, but but if if somebody said to me and they're in, and they're in jail, they're a prisoner and he and I'm I'm a guard and he says, "Hey, take I need to talk to somebody. Will you go?" That that's not going to happen. It's just not. Now, Paul had some privilege. He was a Roman citizen. That all came out in, our, in our, our section of text last week. So as God's working things out, and God moving things and making things happen, this, this young man goes to the tribune. Now, I, I can imagine that this situation is probably a little uh, stressful for the kid, for the young man. Um, probably a little intimidating. He goes to the centurion guard, who Roman guard. Uh, 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 he's in charge of 100 men. This guy's got some authority. He talks to him, and then, and then that guy takes him to the tribune, and now he's got to speak clearly and, and communicate to this tribune exactly what's happening. And, of course, from our text, it says he clearly communicated what's happening. Here's the plan that I overheard. Here's what's going to happen. The tribune didn't just listen to him, he heard him and he acted on what he had heard. Another sign of God's providence working things out in the life of Paul here. So much so that, that Paul will be traveling with, with 200 men, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. That's 470 men to move one guy from Jerusalem to Caesarea. That's crazy. And they do it at 9 o'clock at night. So this tribune believed this young man. Then another sign of, of God's providence. Paul gets to Caesarea. No problems. The, some, of the, some of the guys go back to Jerusalem. It's just the 70, I think, that stay with, with him all the way to Caesarea. He gets there. The governor sees Paul. Governor Felix sees Paul and then listens to Paul and reads the letter. These, these events don't normally happen. These this set of events are, are fairly abnormal, and they all happen in this story. Paul is a prisoner. He has some rights, but he's still a prisoner here, and, and he is moving from one city to another it also said, I don't know if you caught this, and also verse 24, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix. So Paul's not even walking. Do you see God working? Do you see the providence in, God's, in, in Paul's life that God is, is moving and making something happen for him? Now remember the promise. The promise in verse 11 that, that, that Jesus said to Paul, he said, as you, have, as you have taught, as you have taught my, my truths here in Jerusalem, you will also do it in Rome. In other words, your time isn't up yet. Now we would read that. Let's be honest this morning. We would read that and go, well, we know how hard it was in Jerusalem, and we know how hard things are. He's got arrested, he's in prison, like things didn't go well. And now he's gonna go to Rome where it's gonna be even harder? This doesn't make any sense. How is this a good promise? The good promise is that God has a plan and that his time isn't yet. We know, we know from reading ahead in the book of Acts, we know from hearing stories that Paul is a prisoner to the end of his life. We know that things don't go well on his trip to Rome. Shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, beaten up. Lots of things happen in Paul's life. And yet, his time isn't up. And yet God, right now, is doing something miraculous in his life. John MacArthur said that God works in two ways. One, he says he works in miracles. That is, God supernaturally entering the natural life or the natural world to make something happen. So, so for us, it'd be uh, raising Lazarus from the dead or healing somebody. Things that we don't usually see in our life right now. The other way that God works is through providence. And this is God using the natural world to accomplish his will. So in in our story, we have lots of acts, lots of activity that God is using or doing to accomplish his will. But I I would say that some of these things are fairly miraculous. Nobody's being brought back to life, but I don't know if you caught verse 35 when I read it. Governor Felix says to Paul, or says, I will give you a hearing when you, your accusers arrive, and he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Now you may be wondering, what is a praetorium? This is the house that Herod built before he was killed. He built for him in Caesarea. So this would be equivalent to a governor's mansion. This would be equivalent to a luxurious living, it's not the, uh, the dungeon at the, in the basement of the castle or up in a tower. This is, this is luxurious living. So Paul not only traveled with, with 270 or 470 men on horseback, not having to walk in a, in a protected way, no worries about his life, now he's staying with in the governor's house. He's staying in a luxurious surrounding. God's providence is all over this story. He is working in his life. We have lived two separate lives, you and I. And I'm afraid that we live two separate lives even today. We've lived one life where we didn't know Jesus. We didn't know Christ. We were selfish, self-centered, sin-filled, evil enemies of God. Children of wrath, as the Bible says. Jesus came into our lives, saved us, redeemed us. We came face to face with our sin and we said we need a rescue and we had a rescuer in the name of Jesus. And he has given us a new life. We have two lives, before Christ and now. And God is working in our lives. He's worked in our lives before Christ and he's working in our lives now to make us more like Christ. But you and I, even as Christians, we tend to live two different lives. This morning, here we are gathering, and the one life that we live is the Jesus celebrating, Jesus honoring, Jesus praising, God is in control, God is sovereign, hallelujah, praise be to Jesus' life that we all sing about and we all celebrate on Sunday mornings. But when Wednesday comes around and we lose our job, or Wednesday come around, comes around and we get in a car accident, or Wednesday comes, comes around or, and our kids aren't acting the way that they should be, or our wife is mean to us, or our husband is mean to us, or something doesn't go right. God's not in control. We have to fix the problem. We have to find a solution to the situation that we're in. To these circumstances that I find myself in, I must act because I'm in control. We live two different lives. What is keeping us from living the same life that we live on Sunday, on Wednesday, or Thursday, or Tuesday, or Saturday? What is keeping us from living those lives. Eugene Peterson says that God's providence tells us that no injury, no illness, no accidents, no job loss, no distress will ever have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. See, when, 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 when things happen, we go to what we know. And we go to what we're most comfortable with. And usually that's us. We read a, a comments in Reader's Digest back when Reader's Digest was out, or Dear Abby, or whatever, and we figure out like what's the best way to do something, and we read it, and we learn it, and we do it. Because we are the smartest nothing nothing can keep us and keep god from accomplishing what he's going to accomplish in other words we don't have a reason to live that second life cuz god is at work in your life and in mine god is at work now i mentioned this promise that jesus gave to paul and you know, it's a questionable promise. <laughs> Let's be honest. You're going to get in more trouble later down the road. But Jesus told him, your time isn't up. Not yet. You're not done. You're, you're moving from Jerusalem and you're going to Rome. You have more to do. Listen, folks, <laughs> church. God's made promises to you. And he's made promises to me. And these promises are good promises. And the the distance between a promise from God and the promise being accomplished doesn't change the promise. Does that make sense? Just because it's so far down the road of time doesn't mean it's not going to happen. We learn that from Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, you're going to have a a son. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, do you know how old I am, God? No, you're going to have a son. And I'm going to wait 100 years before you have that son. But God accomplished and fulfilled his promise from making that promise to seeing it through. The time doesn't affect the promise. Paul's, the promise that Jesus gave Paul is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. It's going to happen. Our circumstances, our situations, the struggles that we're in, the bad news that we receive, the the difficulties we find ourselves in, all of those things do not change the promise of God. They do not affect the outcome of the promise. God is still going to accomplish his promise. So let's for a minute, I'm going to need your help. Let's for a minute, let's, let's throw out some promises, spit out some promises of God that he has promised us, you and I as sons and daughters of his. Somebody throw out a promise. Can you think of one? Yeah, that's good, Jeremiah. He's with us. He is always with us. What else? He works things out for good for those who love him. Works things out. Romans eight. Yes. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Love of Christ. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's another promise. There's tons. If I sat through the awkward silence, we'd come up with some more. But it's awkward silence, and I'm going to stop it for a minute. God is at work, and he's promised things to you and me. And these promises, we may not see the end of these these promises fulfilled until Jesus returns, until final perfection, until he has come and and taken his church and restored the world to original form, original creation. We may not see these promises fulfilled, but we could see some promises fulfilled. We could see some evidences of, of those promises being fulfilled in our lives. He will never leave us nor forsake us Through the thick, through the thin, through the troubled, through the hardships, through the tough times, through the deaths, through the job losses, he's been with you. God is at work. 2011, God moved a family of five from Nashville, Tennessee to Memphis, Tennessee, back to Memphis, Tennessee to plant a church. Five years ago, almost to the day. 2012, God was working in a a family of six through hard conversations, difficult questions, confrontations, that this was not the place where he had that family to be. And he was moving in them to move to Memphis, Tennessee. We couldn't have written it down. We couldn't have said, the stewards are gonna be in Memphis and the Dunlap's are gonna be in Memphis and the Stiglers are gonna be in Memphis and the pens are gonna be in Memphis. We couldn't have written it down. We couldn't have said, this is how it's gonna go, but it happened. God was working and moving and 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 moving in the hearts of his people to bring them to a specific place at a specific time. And listen to me, there is no accidents with God. You are here for a reason, and we are studying this section of text for a reason this morning. And for some of you, it may be like me, because I Lots of responsibility has fallen on me in the next two weeks where Brad is gone. And I'm a little, I was a little stressed out this morning, but God hasn't changed. And this morning, maybe this, this section of text, studying this last week is just for me, that even I've been studying this for a week and a half now, and I still struggle with the fact that I can't accomplish what he's asking me to accomplish. But he's still God, and he's bigger than that. He's bigger than what he's been doing or what I've been trying to do. He's bigger than my circumstances. He's bigger. John Piper says that God is always, always doing 10,000 things and we're just aware of three. He is always doing things and we're only aware of such a small number. See, God worked in the life of Paul through these circumstances that just seem like a story. Why is this here? Why is this section here where we're talking about conspiracy to kill Paul, 40 men saying, I cannot eat or drink until Paul is dead? And that didn't work out too well for them. We have no details, but Paul lives through, he lives past this situation. Paul gets favor with the tribune. He gets favor with the the centurion guard. He gets favor with the tribune. He gets favor with Felix, the governor. God orchestrating and working in Paul's life to make things happen. So so here's the rub. If, If God is at work, and he has these promises that he's made to us, and if he is involved, and he's not passive, if he's active in our lives, then what is there to worry about? We can read in Matthew in the Beatitudes where he says, do not be anxious for anything. Even the birds of the air have food. Would I not provide for you too? We don't have to be anxious. we don't have to be anxious about needs, providing for those needs, but we don't have to be anxious about the situations either. Kristen and Michael are, are, are getting another uh, a kid tomorrow or the next day. Like, that's stressful. They're safe families, and, and they're getting a child placed with them. It's super exciting, but it's stressful bringing another child into a family. But God's bigger than that. I'm home alone. (laughs) That's probably a good thing, actually, with four kids and a wife. But nonetheless, I miss my family. But God's bigger than that. God has, has worked and orchestrated from creation, from forming and speaking things into existence with his word, to now Jesus upholding the universe by the power of his word. And he is still working in our lives. And he has sent a way for you and I to have peace, to have joy, to be content. And the only way that that happen is, happens is through Jesus. The only way. Because you can't, you can't muster up enough peace to be content. You can't muster up enough I don't know, oomph, to to, to be okay with, with, with life. Look around, guys. People are getting mowed down with a tractor trailer in France out of hate. Bombs are going off in a Turkish airport. People are getting shot for the color of their skin. This is just the last three weeks, and I didn't name everything. You cannot muster up enough oomph to be at peace and content with the world in which you live unless you know Jesus. Unless you know Jesus. He is better and he is enough. He can sustain us through the hard times and he sustains Paul through this hard time, through this situation, through being a prisoner. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. What's not mentioned here is that Paul has a leg to stand on. He's he's not guilty of anything. In fact, he keeps the law. The Jewish people were trying to find a way to destroy this teaching of Jesus that Paul was preaching. They couldn't. They couldn't find a way. They couldn't find a way. So the law was fulfilled in Jesus and he kept the law as a Jewish man had a leg to stand on. His faith was the faith of their fathers, and the law was fulfilled in Christ. He was at peace. He was content with where he was. Now the question for you, and the question for me this morning is, as I've already asked it once, what's keeping you from living the same life, the same religion, the same Christianity on Sunday as on Wednesday. Because the fact of the matter is, is that with Jesus, there is no difference. That with Jesus, we celebrate Jesus as a church together, coming together, worshiping together, singing together, honoring Christ, lifting him on high, pushing one another to holiness, encouraging one another. And on Wednesday... Do the same thing because Jesus is better. Worshipping Jesus, honoring Him, loving Him, loving His Word. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, keeping His Word in us. So, those times that become difficult, those times that become hard, those times that become where we think we can't get through it, Jesus can. Get through it. And Jesus has gotten through it for you and for me. He's done it. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works you guys have been here for a while, you might be familiar with the four G's. Uh, We walk through them often, not as often as we probably should because they're helpful. We try to do them in coffee groups. We try to remind one another about God and who he is. One of them is God is great. God is great so that I don't have to be in control. God is sovereign so I don't have to be in control. God is working his plan so that I don't have to be in control does that mean does that mean that that the earthquake is god judgment not necessarily but god allowed it to happen i tried to find i tried to find a good story of god's providence i tried to find just, just a heart-wrenching story of god's providence and i couldn't find one but here's the, here's the truth, is that, is that if you lose your job today, the chances of that being a bad thing in your life are pretty slim to none. Because God is at work. And that, that void at said company, God is working to bring somebody else to fill that position so that they can provide for their family and have something different for you. God is working no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And his promises come true because, because he makes them. Let's be honest. If you made a promise today, there are circumstances that would have to happen in order for you to fulfill that promise. Example if I, if I promise my youngest son, LJ, LJ, I'm going to buy you a pack of gum small promise and I want to keep that promise so I get in my car first of all the car has to start second of all there needs to be fuel in the car third of all it needs to drive fourth of all I need to be able to get from, from my house to the store which is a mile away no accidents from that point to there the, the store has to have the gum I have to have money to be able to buy the gum then I have to get back in my car come back to the house without getting in an accident and get back home. Now you say, that's, that's really dumb, Chris. Like, that's a pretty extreme scenario. Yes, it is. But it's simple enough that all those things had to happen in order for my promise to come true. The reality is, though, that God, and only God can make a promise, and he can make it happen. Only God. Not you, not me. God upholds, and Jesus upholds the world, the universe by the power of His word. He's made promises to you, and He plans on keeping them. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you. He is for you. He has made a way for you to have life and have life abundantly and everlasting in the name of Jesus. And He. If he makes a promise, he is going to keep it. Romans 4 tells us about Abraham, that Abraham was fully convinced that God was going to do what he says he's going to do, that God was going to keep his promises. And he was fully convinced because he experienced God. He knew who God was. He saw God work. He knew that he was going to fulfill his promises because that's who God is, and that's the character of our God. He can say it and make it happen. So this morning as we sing, this morning as we sing, it is well with our soul. This morning as we as we as we read over those those verses, God makes things happen so we don't have to worry and be in control and be dissatisfied. Because he's bigger than us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are a promise keeper, that you just don't say things, but you make things happen. And God, in so many promises that were voiced, I pray that we would just experience those, that this morning we would um, experience you in a different way, not emotionally, not good feelings or just to feel good about it, but, but God, to be face-to-face with you and to see that you are good and that your promises are good. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you will be glorified this morning, that you would draw us closer to you this morning, and that with boldness we can sing it is well with my soul. No matter what happens, it is well. God, we, we pray for, the, for the, the team leaving for Zanzibar. God, you are bigger than the details, all big and small. You are bigger than um, the hate that is, that is, that is filling east africa towards christians towards americans that you are bigger than the the uncertainties that are within this trip just through communication that you are bigger than all those things and that you are at work even on the other side of the world protect the hearts of our team give them unity that they have never experienced before they can be used by you to bring glory and honor to your name, maybe not even preaching the gospel once, but through their love for one another and their love for you. We are thankful for Jesus, who is better than everything, every good thing that we have, he is better. And he is bigger than every bad thing we experience. We trust you this morning In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.